0: Quick, come up with something funny to say. Hello? Yo. Fort. Oh, that's really cool. Somehow I think you're lying. Uh-huh. Oh, fail. Oh! Ah! Bad Philosophy, episode 73, recorded on September 5th, 2010. The Royal Weed. Hello, everyone. welcome man. One, two, bad philosophy, upsetting the balance of reality, one rabbit trail at a time. Welcome back to the show, everybody. It is episode 73, and uh, we're back once again for another news-oriented show. Hope you're enjoying them. Uh, Got a little bit of feedback on uh, on the show format so far, and it seems like those of y'all who have listened to it, like it so we're gonna do another one uh this time though kevin was not able to join us but we do have somebody whom you haven't seen on the show in a little while that's kiki cannon so welcome back kiki
1: yay Yay. we're here again
0: doing this
1: thing that we do
0: (laughs) which is one of the only things that we do yeah Uh, but y'all love us for it or at least some of you do (laughs) Some of you loathe us, and and those of you who loathe us, I'm not sure why you're listening. Why are you listening?
1: I oh, well. I welcome the people who loathe us personally. Really?
0: They is, make is it, my
1: life interesting. I is it sort of a, a turn your other this. cheek thing? No, this this is I would rather. It's one of those. <laughs> would you rather be you know
0: hated or ignored hated
1: or loved or you know hated <laughs> or feared? And I'm like, no, I want to be hated and feared. That's <laughs> that's what I want from my life.
0: Oh, okay. I want um, want
1: people to hate me and fear me and and do as I say.
0: (laughs) Okay. Uh, Well, let's uh, let's build up some uh, reason for hate right here uh, by talking about something we've never really touched on before on the show, and I can legitimately say that. We've touched on many, many things, and that is Duke Nukem Forever. So we all thought it was dead, but apparently the Duke is back. Uh, Recently at at PAX, which is a, a... Really big convention. I, do you want to talk a little bit about it, Kiki? You probably know a little bit more about PAX than I do.
1: Well, I've been there, so I would hope so. Okay, um, so tell <laughs> us
0: a little bit about PAX. What 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 is it, and what goes on there?
1: It's it's something like a cross between your standard fan convention and E three. It's Penny like, Arcade
0: it, it, Expo. To yeah. let you get that out of the way. So it's the the guys who do the webcomic Penny Arcade started a a little. I guess it was, it started as a meetup and then it kind of grew and grew and grew. Yeah. And
1: now, and now it takes over an entire convention center with, you know, tens of thousands of people who show up to play video games and board games and talk to people and see awesome concerts, which is the reason I went. Um, But yeah. And and apparently it
0: has now become a venue for uh, major game announcements. Uh, oh yeah. So at at PAX, uh, this guy, Pitchford um, from.
1: That sounds like such a fake name.
0: <laughs> yeah, Mister Mister Pitchford. I'm Mister
1: Pitchford with the game <laughs> industry.
0: <laughs> Randy Pitchford from uh, Gearbox Software, who was actually one of the uh, the first developers on on the Duke Nukem way back in the day, way back in the early to mid '90s. Uh, back oh, when I was like so five, um. yeah, uh, in the when, very early days of PC gaming.
1: When you were five, and I was an unknown number.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, no, no need to reveal dates on this show. Uh, but yeah, so so twelve years ago, Duke Nukem Forever started as a project. Um, it was supposed to kind of wrap up the Duke Nukem franchise. You know, put put a. Put a cork in it, you know, be kind of the last, uh, the last hurrah of this, this uh, mid-90s video game action hero. Well, subsequent delays and handoffs and studios crashing kept it from being released, and it, it sort of became the, the cliché vaporware. You know, everybody was like, well, you know, that'll happen when, when Duke Nukem Forever comes out, sort of like <laughs> when yeah. pigs fly or something. It really became a, a, a saying in the, in the video game industry. Uh, mm-hmm. And then finally, last year, it looked like it was really and, and truly dead. Um, it, it, you know, the, the studio pretty much killed it, and, and that was it. We finally thought, all right, well, Duke Nukem Forever, finally canceled, isn't going to happen. And then uh, Randy Pitchford, who, who recently kind of acquired the rights to the game, and apparently all of the, the progress that, that 3D Realms had made on it, uh, comes back and says, hey, we're, uh, as Gearbox, we're finishing up the game. And uh, here's 15 minutes of gameplay footage, <laughs> and, yeah. and, we, and we've got a playable version for you here at PAX, which uh, already there's a video of on YouTube. And uh, it's, it's apparently everything everybody hoped it would be, uh, you know, uh, balls out, uh, just completely offensive in every possible way, uh, gory, violent, uh, full of sexual innuendo of every kind, and... Uh, it's apparently going to come out next year, so I, yeah. I, I kind of I put the story in here just from from I mean an amusing standpoint because this has sort of been like the story of my you know gaming life of it's like a legend now, uh, and seeing it finally like this completed is just <laughs> it's astounding.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I, I even love their their quote from his his pitch for the yeah. game because it's just filled with profanity.
0: Oh yeah. Um, I'll I'll read it here I'll read it here and and bleep it out Uh, let's see where is it yeah in Duke's world this is all real these aliens are here and they're our planet and they're taking our chicks Uh, There's a reason for that, and Duke is the only guy who can stop them. In his universe, that all makes perfect sense. As a result, he's the most important person in his universe, and he knows it. He enjoys it. He franchises it. He's got Duke burgers opened up all over the country. It's a weird universe, but it works for him. He's the king.
1: (laughs) Well, of course it works for him. Yeah. Like, If you got an entire universe built around, it would be a really, really horrible like, no, that would be my universe. If they built the universe around me, it would just be the most annoying place to... <laughs> <laughs>
0: right? Uh, so he's apparently the most powerful man in the world, and also the only man who can save the world, and they're probably related in some really twisted way. But uh, the kind of the alternate universe of, of Duke Nukem is is just, uh, you know, it's absurd, and it's over the top, and it's it's everything that, that you would expect from, from a 90s shooter. Um, it kind of—I I think it pretty much set the bar for the for the over-the-top '90s shooter. You know, before there was Unreal, before there was uh, before there was Doom. The well, actually, uh, no, Duke Nukem came a little bit after Doom, but yeah. it put—I mean—it put a face on like the the balls-out action hero in video games. It
1: was—it was like Doom with sex.
0: And and Doom yeah, you know. with with a character. <laughs> you know, yeah, Doom, and Doom with a character. <laughs> you were kind of a, a nameless space marine, you know. There there was yeah. no there was no icon to get behind. So yeah, you know, Duke Nukem was the the action hero icon. And uh and everybody was into it back in the day. I mean, I, I know a lot of people who still love Duke Nukem three D and, and play it. Um so they, they have apparently retained quite a bit of that <laughs> uh that character and uh apparently the the end of the the gameplay trailer is uh, is Duke Nukem saying or so uh, one of the the girls um, <clears throat> servicing him uh, asking <laughs> so how was the game Duke was it any good and he gruffly remarks yeah but after twelve f-ing years it better be yeah so <laughs> the game is definitely not taking itself too seriously which may be exactly what it needs to to finally get out.
1: <laughs> and it's such it's such like macho male wish fulfillment.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't even know if it's that. It's just it's just oh, ridiculousness it encapsulated. He's, so. he's
1: he's the most important man in the universe and he's yeah. got multiple girls servicing him. Come on. Yeah. And he gets to blow stuff up for a living. <laughs> it's you know, it's
0: it's 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 if you could play Chuck Norris basically. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I was thinking more like Adam Savage with a really big gun because I like Adam
0: Savage. <laughs> <Adam. laughs> so you just went there. You just compared Adam Savage to Duke nukem
1: Yeah. Uh, I think uh, Adam would be would be pleased with the <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't even know. We'll have to ask him someday.
1: I, I uh, hope he would be.
0: So that's uh that's our first story. Not much more to say about it, but just you know, Good luck, Gearbox. Good luck, Mister Pitchford. Please, God, let it be released. <laughs> let's just yeah. let's get this legend over with. Uh, so, up next, uh, we've got you know after some love, we of course we have to balance it out with some hate. So, uh, this past week, Steve Jobs had a had a keynote. Apple had a big announcement. September first, new iPods, uh, both Touch, Nano, and Shuffle, as well as iTunes Ping iTunes 10 and a little guy called Apple TV, which, uh, you know, we won't talk about in detail here because it's been covered ad nauseum on all the tech shows. But uh, one thing that's getting a little bit of coverage and, and that uh, I think is worth talking a little bit more about here is uh, is the iTunes 10 icon. Uh, so Apple has had pretty much the same icon for iTunes, a little uh, CD with either a purple or a green uh, pair of notes. Uh, What is that called, musically? Do you know, Kiki?
1: Yes, but I forget. (laughs)
0: Yeah, it's...
1: You have to take... I haven't had music theory in quite some time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's it's musical notes for for the uninitiated, but essentially it's been about the same icon for ten years... Uh, it's very recognizable. It's it's even built into the firmware of uh, the iPod Touch and the iPhone. Uh, when it first powers on, it shows the the iTunes icon and um, and a little graphic of a USB cable showing you what to do. Because icon, uh, iTunes is the center of the uh, really the the whole iOS universe. It's where everything happens. And by changing the icon, it's it's really upset a lot of people because it's it's this weird like. Uh, blue glowing circle with, uh, you know, the musical notes are still there, but it's a little bit less prominent, and it's mostly just kind of bland, and and uh, it doesn't fit really along with the other icons inside OS X. Uh, so it's got a lot of people up in arms, uh, not just the design, but the fact that Apple changed the design at all. Uh and like some some folks uh or one guy even sent an email to Steve Jobs, this article mentions it, this is from TechCrunch, by the way, um saying, Enjoyed the presentation today, but this new iTunes logo really sucks. You're taking ten plus years of instant product recognition and replacing it with an unknown. Let's both cross our fingers on this. To which Steve Jobs replies curtly, we disagree, sent from my iPhone. <laughs>
1: I, I love that Steve Jobs is using the royal we now. It it just fits <laughs> into his personality so well. I'm surprised he hasn't been using it for longer.
0: Is, is it is it really the royal we, or is he is he trying to speak for all of Apple when he says that? I, I
1: think that? I think at this time it's like one and the same in his brain. <laughs> I would not be surprised to be started talking about himself in third person.
0: <laughs> Well, I don't know if he'll quite go that far. Walking
1: but... through the Apple office. Steve Jobs does not like this. Steve Jobs <laughs> will be impressed if you redesign it. Steve Jobs hates the CD on the iTunes logo and would prefer it to be bland.
0: Maybe that's what he did hate. I you know, now that <coughs> I, I was just trying to, to go over reasons why I was reading this. Like, like why why would they do this redesign? You know, what would prompt this? And maybe it was the C D, because it, it really is kind of a, a symbol of the previous uh, music distribution paradigm, and so maybe he was really just trying to get away from that. Maybe that irked him, you know that uh, that that relic. Uh, I am Steve was...
1: Jobs, and I have rendered the CD useless. Redesign <laughs> right. my
0: logo, minions. Well, it's it's like he got rid of the floppy drive on the uh, the 1998 <laughs> iMac. Uh, in a time when floppy drives were still very much in in use, uh, and and Dell kept putting floppy drives on their systems as late as two thousand four, um, so uh, Apple really has a.
1: Drives. And Sorry. I mean, it's
0: not like CDs aren't used at all um, for for music and for for software. CDs and DVDs, which look exactly the same, are still yeah. very much in uh, in use right now. So uh, it you know okay maybe that's a statement there maybe he's trying to say all right this is the future uh but good god i i think this person really has a has a point with the brand recognition thing like um itunes is is itunes and and folks know that that look for it um and they're going to have to change the the firmware on all of the new <laughs> apple devices uh now uh to to reflect the new icon and uh god, this I no small I'm guessing task <laughs> this is
1: this has been big talk around the office hasn't it <laughs>
0: um not really you'd be surprised <laughs> to... yeah and you know the 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 new thing comes and then everyone just sort of accepts it but but you know the, not like people weren't people to have their opinions I'll put it that way uh, but it doesn't affect day-to-day life really um, and it, it, you know the discussion is really more happening outside of apple um, for people who just you know are, are used to used to one thing, and they hate change. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I don't know. There's uh, there's not much more we can say about this other than you know it's an odd design choice, but in the long run, we'll probably just get used to it. And
1: uh, yeah, I haven't even bothered to download the new iTunes.
0: You know, it's only uh, in, in, in I tweeted this too. It, it's a strange um, it's a strange UI choice in in a number of ways. In addition to the icon change, iTunes 10 now has like no color in the UI except for albums and the contents of the iTunes store. So like none of the, the, uh, the icons along the source list, like your playlists, your folders, your, your, your different uh, sources of music, none of those are colored. They're all grayscale. <laughs> and So it's incredibly difficult to just at a glance... Uh, pick out something Steve in a Jobs
1: list. has decided he hates color and wishes Whoa. to remove it from his
0: <laughs> I, It's just very, very strange. I, I mean, maybe he thought that like the, the colors over there were confusing, you know, to, to <laughs> people or something. I, I like too
1: many, discol- too many colors distract the wild jobs. I, from and, his... <laughs> and by the way,
0: I, I guess this would be a good time to say I'm not speaking as an Apple employee on, on any of this. I'm speaking as, as, you know An a,
1: Apple a... fanboy?
0: No, I'm speaking as as a design, uh, as an amateur design critic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or as, as the TechCrunch people put it, um, backseat graphic design. Yeah. Um,
1: but I think that's true of all Apple fanboys, though. You're all kind of like backseat Apple critics. Because every time there's a new Apple thing, everybody I know who's like a big Apple fan goes completely mental in ripping it to shreds.
0: Uh, I see that. That seems antithesis to the idea of a fanboy though. Wouldn't a fanboy defend it? But
1: you know, it's it's kinda hilarious because all of the all of the people like it's it's such an insular group. So all of the people I know like love ripping it apart. Like they'll be like, Well, this icon's an odd design choice, but the second anyone outside of it's like, Yeah, screw that design, they'll be like, Hey, don't mess with <laughs> Apple like only we can say bad stuff about Apple. <laughs> We're the ones giving it all our money. We, we have, have the, the right. right to speak bad about Apple. You,
0: you don't <laughs> yeah. get to do it. Oh, that's one way of looking at it. Um, but it, what's interesting is this: this TechCrunch article uh, cites a uh, both a Twitter account that <laughs> called um, called iTunes ten icon. That's uh, sort of similar to the BP Global PR. Uh, it, it's uh, like the one tweet they they give out here is: uh, "Everyone's so quick to judge me. I don't judge you and that hipster music you listen to." <laughs>
1: yeah
0: i did like that <laughs> yeah i i want to pull up the uh i wanna pull up the account here and see if it's it's tweeted anything else but it, you know it sparked kind of this uh this creative backlash you know people creating you know alternative itunes ten icons and things
1: uh yeah, yeah i i don't know i i think all of them kind of i don't really care yeah. <laughs> I'm so far in the not caring camp. Like, I don't, I don't know. It's, it, you know, I use iTunes because I have to because I have an iPod and it's not like it works with anything else. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I'm kind of a begrudging user of iTunes, but it, it, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> and and the picture the picture on the article just says who cares it's just an icon and i'm thinking yeah pretty much it's it's not like it's a picture of your mom's face with a knife through it that they decided to put up there you know it's <laughs> it's a circle with some music notes and blue you yeah
0: know? comforting comforting shade of blue yeah well i think we've said about all that needs to be said about that <laughs> Uh, the more next, than needs to be said. <laughs> much more than needs to be said. Uh, next up we've got a an interesting article from it was initially linked from IO9, but it's actually from a dangerousbusiness.com. Uh, it's about a guy who uh it's basically the, the the diary of a guy who went to on a vacation to Moscow, visited a Russian video arcade museum. Uh and it is a very interesting read. It's a long read. Uh, we'll link to it in the show notes, of course, uh, and I highly encourage you to read it. But he talks about their experiences with all of these old machines. So some of them video arcades, some of them mechanical arcades. Uh, you know, lights and and, and buzzers and dingy bells and you know everything you would expect from a, a pre-video uh, experience. But one of the things he talks about among uh, his his diary of, of the, the experiences with these machines is uh, the fact that that in none of them is there a, a high score board which is a, a, a staple uh, of, of video arcades I mean you know it feels like a, a arcade machine without a high score board uh, you might as well just be playing for fun you know it's not about... <laughs> <laughs> how dare
1: you play a video game for fun <laughs> um,
0: it's you know very much a um, you know, a thing about, about games is you, you play to be the best. You know, you play to get your name there on the, uh, on the high scores. Uh, you know, less so these days. Uh, there, there are still leaderboards, I guess, for some competitive games, but you don't really see the, uh, you know, complete the game and then enter your, your initials for the high score. Uh, but, you know, for the majority of the American video game era, at least the early days, uh, it was all about that. It was all about the high score. So these none of these refrigerators and, and what weird
1: three letters you could put after it to like make your little school schoolish joke you know like school kid jokes
0: yeah yeah mm-hmm. i know <laughs> my dad told me a story about some uh some things that they would write on the uh on the high scores so that you know when they showed up Uh, it would make sort of a message on there. (laughs) Um, My
1: initials are ASS. No one's ever thought of that before.
0: Well, and they would do it so that like the, the guys who were best at the arcade would do it so that no one could uh, get a better score and erase the message. (laughs) (laughs) So they essentially had to reset the machine to get, (laughs) to get the profanity off. Um, But you know, one thing you notice is that none of these Russian machines have the high scoreboard. And uh, he he speculates that that has to do with uh, with the communist mindset. Um, to, to quote the article, um, this originally jumped out to me as a fantastic cultural difference. You could be rewarded for a high score by a free game, but in the spirit of communism, there was no recognition of individual achievement. Uh, so he talks about, uh, he goes into a little more detail afterward, but it's uh, it's just, it's sort of, an interesting observation you know in a communist culture i guess it doesn't serve the uh it doesn't serve the people to have the people uh competing against each other and uh and yeah. winning you know rights over their their brothers
1: but i mean <laughs> in, you know in in the capitalist society i mean that's why you spent all your change at the the arcade right and these are
0: still uh these are still coin based arcades i mean people spent money on these <laughs> on these yeah. systems in russia so uh, it's
1: it's good to know that even with the communism they still make games. they still make right. money off the games you don't get free games for being a citizen how dare you
0: yeah it's a it's an odd um it's an odd oxymoronic practice I guess
1: I think and, the most know. interesting thing to me is the soda machine
0: oh yeah <laughs> uh, so it's, it's a big
1: orange box with three choices <laughs>
0: <laughs> and and absolutely no like flashy advertisements on it or anything yeah like it's no, you no can brand have,
1: name of the soda or
0: <laughs> it, it has text on there you can either have soda water uh flavored soda or water <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> and apparently they were they were all over the the moscow streets according to the the thing they, they used to be ubiquitous in moscow but right. it's it's just cool looking in the it looks very like fallout 3 you know (laughs) like like you want to see one of those like on the side of a vault i'm still playing fallout 3 by the way
0: (laughs) someone uh someone posted in the in the original io9 article you know everybody made the russian jokes you know in soviet russia game plays you and all this but uh one person posted a a a picture of a guy in a full hazmat suit with an ak uh, and it just, just the caption was, uh, don't play post-apocalyptic uh, nuclear fallout games, <laughs> go live in Russia. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Uh, so, you know, it's a, it's a great article. Um, certainly interesting seeing the differences between uh, Western and, uh, and Eastern culture there. And uh, very glad that somebody is preserving that heritage in, uh, in modern Russia. So, on to, our, uh, on to our next bit. Man, this, this time is flying by. But you a...
1: thought we'd have nothing to talk about.
0: Oh, we've I got can a talk lot
1: about to talk anything about. anything
0: at least. Yeah, of
1: course. <laughs> it's my only talent in life.
0: From PC World comes an article about Craigslist. Craigslist adult services section shut down. Craigslist yeah. shut down its adult services listings on Friday, replacing the link with a black bar with the word censored where the listings previously appeared. The move comes after years of pressure to remove the ads, including an open letter from 17 state attorneys general in late August. The letter said, quote, sharp public criticism of Craigslist's adult services section. I love how they they capitalize adult services, but they don't capitalize Craigslist. Yeah. <laughs>
1: You didn't bother to capitalize it on your site. We can't be bothered now.
0: <laughs> well, they in the quote, they don't capitalize it, and elsewhere they do. So it's, it's a very yeah. inconsistently written article. But, um, uh, quote, sharp public criticism of Craigslist's adult services section reflects a growing recognition that ads for prostitution, including ads trafficking children, are rampant on it. End quote. The Attorneys general requested Craigslist take immediate action to stop accepting ads since it quote "cannot and will not screen them." The letter wasn't Craigslist's first scuffle regarding sex-related ads. <laughs> Interesting choice of word there scuffle. Um, the site <laughs> The site formerly had an erotic services section that was shut down in May 2009. It was pulled under or pulled after law enforcement filed suit. Claiming the classifieds facilitated prostitution and after the alleged Craigslist killer was arrested. The adult services section took its place shortly after. Craigslist said the postings would require manual human approval of all entries and cost $10. Uh, in October 2009, an Illinois judge dismissed the lawsuit saying intermediaries are responsible when customers use their services to commit unlawful acts. Craigslist... No judge! Yeah, I mean... <laughs>
1: I like him living in Illinois now. We've this is got the a YouTube thing. Right? I
0: mean, it, uh, Craigslist isn't responsible for what, for what people put on their site, just as YouTube isn't responsible for what videos folks upload. I mean, that's yeah. that's in the terms of service, and I and I thought it was in, in Craigslist terms of service as well, but. Anyways, Craigslist executives didn't give any reasoning for its policy change as of Saturday. It's unclear if the listings will remain offline permanently or if the San Francisco-based classified service is making a policy statement by its action. If the adult services section is gone for good, it's a safe bet, and I, I found this the most interesting part of this, it's a safe bet that those type of listings... May soon flood other categories on the site so in 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 essence by doing this by removing the uh you know the ghetto of <laughs> adult services you're you know you're forcing all of those uh advertisers to go elsewhere on Craigslist you know into yeah. legitimate categories so that might just start appearing in miscellaneous or uh, general or <laughs> uh, well you know. yeah
1: I mean they'll start using code words and couching it a bit more you know. I mean, in the in the adult services, you know, they'd, they'd post, you know, nude pictures and things like that. And they'll probably just, like, take to using euphemisms and
0: yeah. things like that. In It'll other... get a bit clever, but it's not going to go away. And, and this is just like, um, there are so many efforts to to ghettoize uh, adult content online, you know, to put it all under the XXX domain so that it can be easily yeah, censored. Yeah, I was
1: just thinking about that, you know. It's like, and, no, uh... it doesn't help.
0: <laughs> right. Well, and and the uh the adult content industry has always resisted that because they said, you know, no, you're not going to ghettoize us and, and in such a way that makes it more difficult for us to do our business. And uh I mean, this feels like sort of a similar thing but in reverse, uh going from a ghetto to the, you know, to the general Craigslist area where there's not censorship. I mean, well, I mean, they probably have some moderation, but it's much more difficult to police all of Craigslist for this type of yeah. thing than just the adult services section. Um, it will actually probably result in more of these these ads being put up on, on Craigslist.
1: Yeah, because then um, you don't have to pay the $10.
0: Right. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, and, but of course that's speculation, uh, you know, that it might force them to go elsewhere. You know, the Craigslist might have just been the most convenient thing at the time. And, you know, now that this, this uh, specific section is gone, they might, you know, go elsewhere. But... You know, I'm not, of course, not condoning listing, uh, you know, child uh, porn of any kind and uh, and certainly not human trafficking. Um, but gosh, like, there have always been classifieds for like, you know, single guy seeking, you know, hook up with, with woman. Like that's, <laughs> you know, yeah. those sorts of things are, or, you know, even guy seeking hook up with guy. Like those have always been kind of okay to put in a paper. If you pay for it, well, <laughs> you know, you're you're making it, you're putting it out there. Um,
1: yeah, it's, you know, and, and of course there used to be, you know, whole sections in the back of newspapers and stuff where there would be random codes and things like that that were, you know, if you looked over, you would just look at it and see a string of letters, you know, but if you knew what you were looking for, you could find it. You know, it's, yeah. it's not like oh, man, Craigslist has suddenly made it easy to find this. Like, no, it's just people stopped reading newspapers and started going to Craigslist for everything, so they went where the business was. Right. You know?
0: And, it's... you know, always legislators, you know, take this, this ham-handed position of, you know, well, just get rid of it entirely, and then, you know, it'll go away. You know, but really all this does is sort of sweep it under a rug. <laughs> yeah, pro- <laughs> um...
1: prohibition of anything never works right it's 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 not in the the human brain you know it's it's you can make it illegal you can make it difficult you can make it sleazy or ghetto or whatever you want to call it but if somebody wants to do something they're still going to do
0: it i mean this is the reason why we have red light districts uh this is a reason why they're always have them well, countries
1: that actually think about stuff in a logical way have them. <laughs> but we, <laughs> short- as I mean, Americans in a third world country, do not.
0: I mean, though it still happens. I mean, in, in certain major cities that, you know, there's always that part of town. Uh, well, yeah. And, you know, or that street or that block or something. I mean, there's always kind of that place where, uh, you know, if you want to go there, that's where the stuff is available. And uh, it <laughs> it doesn't it actually works better that way when you have i hate to call it a ghetto but you you know you have an area where that sort of thing happens and it it just it's normal for that to be the case and and if you say like oh well you know we're going to we're going to crack down on the red light district well guess what then you have <laughs> then you have little red light districts appearing everywhere <laughs> rather yeah. than all of them kind of congregating in in one area
1: and the funny thing is is what people never think of as well is you know, having having these particular areas is not just good for the people who want to find this stuff, but the people who don't.
0: Yeah, because you can easily you say, know? okay, that is over there, so I'm going to avoid it. Just like on yeah. Craigslist, you can go, oh, well, that is the adult services section. Obviously, I'm not going to click on that if I'm not interested in adult services. And yeah. someone who is, is interested in posting for adult services isn't probably going to go elsewhere because they know the kind of people looking for it are going to go there first, <laughs> they're not yeah. going to go to miscellaneous or general or something. So. And, it, and it
1: makes it it makes it harder for people to find, but easier for people to stumble across. Yeah, you know if you're if you're looking out to protect the little kitties or you know whatever it is that they're claiming this time, you know it's like well it's you always know,
0: about the children.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so always about the children. No, it's not. Stop yeah. saying it is, because it, it isn't. It's it's you posturing is what it is. The kids don't care. The kids are probably better knowing about this stuff in the first place. You know, <laughs> like, this is where people are going to start hating on me. You know, yeah. it's like my my opinions on this stuff are like, you know, very open and very, you know, it's people are going to do what they want to do. And you can police it to a certain extent, but you will never eradicate it. And there comes a point where policing things that do no harm to the general public is
0: just stupid and wasteful this is exactly what we were talking about last week actually yeah Uh, i mean and
1: it's it can't it can't bear repeating enough i mean i think Mm -hmm. until the the country kind of gets it through their heads
0: yeah i mean there just isn't a lot of practical investigation on these sorts of things there's a lot of it's very emotional it's very. yeah yeah. sometimes religious based how they make these decisions and there's there's not a lot of research into okay well is this practice actually going to produce the you know either the behavior or the outcome that we want um and what ends up happening is is poor decisions are made rash decisions that that end up sometimes making it the situation worse so it remains to be seen you know this might actually turn out well for craigslist and for uh for the the legislators involved um but I yeah. don't know i uh, just I
1: just think this is another net neutrality issue, yeah. you know, like stop policing you know what people want to put online I mean, yes, there are some things that if you can prove they are illegal or you know whatever i mean for for goodness' sakes, yes, you know, if there are ads you know offering children, then please hunt those people down and beat them to death with a stick, yeah. And you know, publicize it on pay per view and let me
0: watch. You know,
1: it's like no. You know, people like that. There, there needs to be horrible things done to them. But
0: this week on MMA, beating up child monsters.
1: <laughs> yeah, dude. Can you imagine that? Would that would please you know? That's you know. I mean, I'm I'm saying I'm saying basically what. Uh, what simon cowell said once in an interview i'm basically repeating it because simon cowell and i are the same person just from really he he
0: suggested that that we uh that we publicly humiliate or or beat up criminals (laughs) well
1: it was it was you know anderson cooper was asking him several years ago about like you know is american idol and things like that the new you know people being thrown to lions or whatever. Oh. And he's like, no, because these people ask for it, basically. I mean, <laughs> they... You know, I mean, you've auditioned, I've auditioned. We both knew what we were getting into. Yeah,
0: you but know? no, nobody you, ever you, goes in hoping for that. You know, they, they don't, you don't go in going... Yeah, they don't well, go in I expecting to be it, the one that's going to go down it. hard. But they all know in the back of their minds that that's a possibility. Whereas kind of, you know, if you... <laughs> in a gladiatorial arena, you know, if you go in, you kind of know what to expect. It's it's going to, you know, you're very likely going to die in a gruesome horrible way. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you don't go in expecting to be the guy who comes out victorious. Well, uh,
1: but I think the thing is is that, you know, okay, people can delude themselves all they want, but I knew when I walked into the American Idol auditions, I knew that there was 99.9, you know, whatever chance that i would walk out with them going like okay thank you and leave which is exactly what happened
0: you right. know and then never hearing but, from them again yeah
1: but i also knew that if that at any point while i was there i could be made fun of accosted a an image of me could exist with you know 19 for the rest of eternity throughout the universe in perpetuity uh as it says on the legal documents which yeah. i love I love that they not only screw you on the planet, but on any other planet humanity might colonize at Forever. any point in the
0: future. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, uh. but
1: but I don't know. I think there's, I think there's just, you know, but but Simon Cowell said the thing about like, you know, why not, you know, publicize or why not allow if you're going to have public ex- executions, why not put them on pay per view, huh. you know. And all, and make money for the government or something you know, and Anderson Cooper looked as, as shocked, and I was like, yeah i don't, I don't know why we haven 't done it we've we put capitalism and practice on everything else, yeah, and so the TARDIS is landing in my living room I mean in my bedroom uh, <laughs> my my phone now emits the TARDIS noise whenever I get a text message.
0: So, what is that from the TARDIS?
1: the oh god I, I, for those of you listening who are actual legitimate geeks, I apologize for Steven. What? Uh, I have been trying to get him into Doctor Who oh, for the right. entire yeah, time I okay. have known him. He has resisted One of these
0: days, one of these days. One of these days I will get set up. There are too many good things to work through. I'm, I'm going through, like, the backlog of Nova right now and realizing that there is so much cool stuff that Nova has put out in the last, what, 30 years? <laughs> So
1: whereas I grew up watching Nova and really have no need to go catch up on the backlog because I watched it when it aired. Um.
0: Anyways. (laughs) So we, uh, we're going to end here with a, with a pair of articles from, uh, from Kiki's realm of expertise, which is linguistics. And uh, both of them are sort of talking about uh, similar concepts. Um, One dealing with uh, languages and their relation to memes And uh, and the other kind of dealing with uh, differences in how, well, you know, I'm just going to let Kiki explain it because I haven't had the time to read the articles and they're long and complicated and and linguistic (laughs) and stuff. (laughs) <laughs> They're difficult. I don't want to read them. <laughs> difficult. I hey, I look at the ones I brought forward. The Duke Newcomb article and you know yeah, stuff about yeah, Russian museums. No,
1: he, he he sends me a tweet, people. This is how this works. He sends me a tweet saying, find articles with some kind of philosophy background. So I immediately was like, well, hey. My degree is in linguistics. That is related close, closely to many aspects of philosophy. Let me go try to bring my expertise into his philosophy show. What does he bring me? Video games and internet porn.
0: Not <laughs> necessarily.
1: I followed your instructions. <laughs> you, sir, did
0: not. We also talked about communism. Come on.
1: Well, yes, we, can. we talked about communism there there.
0: For all of two seconds. But anyways, <laughs> so... I'm relying on Kiki, yes, to bring sort of the philosophical aspect of the show. So let's dive right into it. So what what are these when, articles all about?
1: Well, the the one I've been so interested in memes lately, and I have been at my roommate's prodding reading um The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins, which mm. is very interesting for me to read coming from an incredibly religious background. Um and his his discussion about religion as meme. And a lot of people say that language is the ultimate in memes. You know, it's, it's something that started back when we were first discovering to cook food to make it tastier. And, you know, and it just kept going.
0: Um, so and- so memes, I, I guess uh, it, it bears repeating kind of the, the distinction between memes and uh, genes and memetics and genetics. Genetics is sort of about the, uh, the biologically encoded uh, characteristics of, uh, of a given species. Uh, you know, let's just take humanity, for instance, because we are talking about that. Uh, whereas memes are more the um, they're sort of associated with culture. Uh, they're, they're more information-based. They're not necessarily encoded in any way, uh, but they're sort of passed on from, uh, from life form to life form as uh, through, I, I, I thought really the only transmission of, of memes was through language, but I guess you could have uh, other types of informational transfer, such as through uh, actions, gestures, uh, you know, patterns of behavior, those sorts of things. Uh, could it's be simple considered...
1: observation
0: yeah, so c- yeah those could be considered memes as well uh you know in our in our day and age usually meme is associated with like an internet uh fad uh something that you know like the double rainbow vi- video that just yeah. it has some quality that a lot of people enjoy and so it gets spread far and wide and uh becomes uh kind of a staple of culture but you know it could be Something like rock and roll or, you know, coke. Or, in or... fact,
1: the Yakov Smirnov in Soviet Russia joke yeah. that you brought me horribly crashing back to my childhood with. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> there's some things when you're a kid where you're like, wow, I can't wait till I get older. No one remembers about that. <laughs> that was one of the things that unfortunately did not die when it should have
0: so that that started way back in the day because the the first time I heard it was was in Family Guy.
1: Yes, it's it's a comedian who was named Yakov Smirnov who did this shtick where he was a you know Russian refugee that had come over to experience the glories of America and capitalism and would take everything we did and you know flip it around you know in in Soviet Union government watches you and you know all these yeah. kind of things and then get to absurd. Degrees and it became a meme because he was very popular for reasons I cannot explain in the 80s. So,
0: and so um, Seth MacFarlane, being very much a, a product of the 80s, uh, decided to bring it back in Family Guy.
1: Yes, and, and, and it is
0: now a meme in this generation.
1: Yes, it is. It is a meme that has been revived revived by Seth MacFarlane, who I I love.
0: And And it's probably, uh, like, stronger now than it ever was even in the past, uh, you know, numbers-wise and possibly even percentage-wise.
1: Because people of, of, you know, your age and younger see it as, oh, that funny thing that's on the internet and don't remember the horror of having to tune into like, Johnny Carson and watch (laughs) Jakob Smirnoff and his god-awful comedy routines, you know, so... So I think that's the, that's the point is you guys don't remember the horror that goes along with that meme.
0: So uh, what the what this article is basically arguing is is that uh, that language in its entirety is is a meme of sorts. Uh, yeah,
1: that per- that perhaps it's it's not. You know, we still haven't figured out what part of our need for language is genetically encoded. And how much of it is a thing that humans found useful back in the ancient times and kept going. Right. You know, so it's, it's, are we hardwired for language of some form or are we basically just taught that language is a thing that everybody does and we should do it too.
0: So they give a one example here toward the end of the article, uh, Words can function and behave as as memes, undergoing competition for adherence, Uh, in this case, users of the given words. Examples of this phenomenon have been given in words and languages, however, the existence of coinage of words is yet another way in which memes affect language. Take, for example, the Catholic meme of transubstantiation, which states that bread and wine can be transformed into the body and blood of Jesus. This meme, once vilified as barbaric, has long been considered one of the most important elements of the Catholic service. However, it was once probably quite difficult to explain to non-Catholics who were unfamiliar with the practice. The coinage of the word transubstantiation associated a single word with the meme thereby increasing its replicative advantage slightly and making it easier for hosts to communicate to non-hosts I love the, I love the terminology there, uh, who yeah. shared a language but not a memeplex. Uh, the same idea applies to the use of the word quanta to describe the discrete energy packets discussed in quantum physics. Uh, in this way, language bears the marks of the memes that made up its cultural context. Western, or without Catholicism, transubstantiation would not exist or would refer to a very different practice. The same applies to quantum physics and quanta. In the same way, English speakers have no history of revering the spirits of dead ancestors. As such, we have no single word for the common Asian concept and refer to it via the rather cumbersome phrase, veneration of ancestors. Uh, Most likely, if this meme ever became popular in the English-speaking world, a new word would be coined for it. So yeah, that's that's a, a very good example of this this idea. Um, so so there are memes within language but the idea of language itself as a meme I, I don't know if I can quite
2: Well
1: I think get all of that. all of of grammar I mean everything that you consider about the grammatical structure of languages is a meme. I mean well, if I you say look at it
0: specific words as well and and spelling well, of, of words course. you know so more I, as i looked at word evolution in uh, in the spelling classes that i had um when it, when i was being homeschooled and i think one theme that came up a lot was you know well we found that it was more convenient to write it this way you know it's, it was sort of expediency dictated the uh, the evolution of language or you know more people were using this word to to say this and so it just kind of gradually took over um, for instance uh Ad-Grav, uh are two separate um Latin roots, so, you know, odd, and then grav, and then ate, those are two, those are three different things, but, uh, when odd, when you say that it quickly, aggravate, 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 you abbreviate it to ag rather than ad at the beginning of the word, so it just, you know, from practical speaking purposes, it became easier to say aggravate, and so all of these words, uh, you know, changed as a result, and and so that meme of of uh, of morphing the, uh, the 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 prefix there uh, permeated the culture and permeated the the speakers of the language. There,
1: there is a a theme in linguistics which is fascinating to me and probably no one else. Um, <laughs> but when you're looking at a language and how it evolves, the the things that are closest to that you're going to find that are closest to the most ancient words in a language are going to be the words that are the lowest down on the hierarchy of needs. You know, it's like, uh, it's, it's things that refer to your body, things that refer to the traditional foods of the area, Hmm. you know? Um, which is why uh, there's so many um, French and Latin words in English uh, because England was invaded by the Romans, by the French, you know, by all these different people. Yeah. But the closest words you'll find to Old English are the words we still have for our, our bodies, you know, the, the common words, not medical terms, of course, but, you know, the, you know, hands and feet and things like that. That's why feet and foot, you know, are are done like that because it's closer to the, the practice of pluralization in Old English. Yeah. You know, and, and some of the Celtic languages that are arrived from. You know, if you if you grow grain and turn it into bread, when somebody takes over, you're not going to use their word for bread. You already have a perfectly good word for bread. Mm-hmm. But if they bring in a new system of like law, for instance.
0: Or new technology. They,
1: that's, that's that's why all of our legal words are from Latin and French, hmm. is because the what we think of as the kind of legal, judicial system that we have was influenced by the Romans and the French taking over England, and it has since passed to America in similar structure. But, you know, that's why all of our legal terms are from those languages, is because they gave us that. So, we didn't have words for them, so we borrowed their words for them and made them sound like our words, which is what languages do. Yeah. So, it's, and it's also, they were talking about in the same article that um, languages can be kept alive as a meme. You know, Latin was kept alive long after it had any original speakers because it was used in academic and religious terminology.
0: Yeah. So
1: people remembered Latin as a language far better than they, they thought of other languages that died out about the same time because it was still useful on a daily basis.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: their their other one is, is Hebrew, which was completely dead for hundreds and you know, hundreds of years because it was kept only as the ceremonial language of the Jewish people in religious services and cultural, you know, practices. Mm-hmm. And when Israel was founded as a as a state and resettled by Jews and given over as a state to the Jewish people, they decided that of course it had to have Hebrew as their official language. But the problem is you've got hundreds of years of terminology that needed to be filled in, so they hired like the largest team of linguists at the time to go in and basically create them a language based on this ancient you know, what was left of the ancient language. So they had to rebuild the, the the grammar and figure out how it would incorporate new terms and how you make new terms from old words. Yeah, you know? and, 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 and it, in terms
0: for new things, you know, v- forms of technology, uh, you know, practices, verbs that, that just, you know, had no analog in the uh, in the uh, ancient texts.
1: Yeah, and and of course all you've really got is ancient texts that deal with Ceremony or culture or religion, so there's a lot of guesswork that 's done where you have to extrapolate from a very small data set yeah, so that I find as as you know a way that it can be kept alive as a meme. It had no functional use in everyday life except through religion mm-hmm. you know so it's it's interesting that you know to me at least it's it's very interesting of how language kind of seeps in and uses that you know
0: yeah so um you know a fascinating concept for sure and uh, and uh, Dawkins as well tries to argue that that religion itself is is kind of a meme uh in in human society and then is unique to the human race uh for various reasons i you know i don't think he does a, a great job of arguing it from a philosophical perspective, but he certainly he certainly presents some compelling evidence for the idea so in that case, uh, you know these religious languages, Latin and Hebrew would the, would be sort of meta memes <laughs> you know memes yeah. on top of memes
1: and it you know I, I, the idea of language as a meme does kind of come over like when you have new immigrants coming into a place pretty soon their children are going to lose that language because the more competitive meme would be you know the language of the new place and they're going to lose their their cultural traditions because they see you know the more replicated meme of the new tradition as our brain thinks of it as well this is the overriding meme so this must be what we are supposed to do
0: yeah and from a practical yeah. standpoint it, you yeah. know you communicate more in that uh that dominant language uh because it's it it's just easier to uh to get around you know you don't uh you don't have need for the the subservient language as much um yeah so yeah i, I, I can definitely see that and uh i don't know i mean is this a, a trend in, in linguistics to think of language this way or is it uh is it more acceptable to to think of it as a as a genetic uh as a genetic adaptation.
1: Well, the thing is is we really don't know. I mean, there's there's good points to be made either way. But I I think it's it's certainly you know plausible that maybe we started out with, you know, as as our need to communicate with each other and form social groups became more complex, that our our need for language became more pressing. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't deny that there's that everyone has a genetic capacity for language. So that you know, there has to be something important about it that we have developed the ability to learn this and to internalize this so quickly and at such a young age. Yeah. So there's certainly genetic components of it. But the the initial Causal factor, I guess, is very difficult to 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 peg. You know.
0: Yep. So. Well, uh, one, we've got just enough time to touch on uh, on one other subject here before the end of the show, and that is uh, the fact that we now have a Formspring account, everybody. So uh, we talked about it a little bit on on last week's episode, uh, but I I went ahead and went through with it. I created Formspring.me/slash Bad Philosophy. So if you'd like, uh, you know, go, some, go ahead and leave us a question on there. We, we may answer some of the questions, uh, Kevin or I, uh, and possibly Kiki if she decides to. Uh, we may answer some of them uh, on FormSpring, but we'll also occasionally pick one for the end of the show to answer. So I hope we can kind of make this into a recurring segment, you know, just something to kind of, kind of cap, off the, uh, cap off the episode. So we've got a this question is this is Stephen's
1: subtle way of saying, go leave us questions on Forum Springs, so that this isn't a useless
0: waste of our time. Well, yeah, <laughs> and not so many words, but anyways. <laughs> uh, we've got a question here from Kathleen, uh, one of the first ones to show up on uh, our website. Uh, Do you think there's an ethical conflict with a hospital system asking recipients of a county-subsidized health care program to submit to surveys and a health screening that includes blood work to gauge the success of the county 's program, so obviously this is referring to a specific incident <laughs> uh, it sounds it sounds a little bit too uh, particular, but uh, i i, I 'm trying to pull out where the ethical conflict would be um, and, or first of all, why they would be uh, asking for these these surveys in a uh, in the first place. Asking for a um, a health screening to participate in the in the subsidized health program.
1: Um, well, I can easily see the conflict.
0: I mean, the conflict
1: is you are basically forcing people, presumably disabled or poor, you know, people without other insurance, uh, that require this. Service to live probably to give up blood samples and large background information to be used for a non-medical purpose. I mean, it almost seems to violate, you know, a lot of the the privacy laws and codes that we have. Well, now, especially if
0: they're. I mean, this is- so gauge the success of the county's program could. I, you know, the, the, I assume that there would be some stipulation under this that the, the information you give up is, is medically confidential, that it falls under, under doctor-patient confidentiality, and that simply, uh, you know, raw, raw data is being taken into consideration, not personal data, uh, because blood work, you know, for sure, is uh, it's not personally identifiable unless you, unless you do a DNA uh, database uh, entry as well now what what the surveys encompass is kind of what I'm curious about uh, the blood work, not so much, but you know what the surveys I assume would, would include uh, you know socioeconomic information uh, but they or they could just include uh, you know medical condition information like you know have do you have a history of uh, heart disease in your family you know sort of the the uh, the typical things that you get on uh, on a medical questionnaire when you first sign up with a doctor. In that case i don't see as much of an ethical uh conflict, especially if if in the stated uh terms of use or, or you know the stated uh policy to which you sign and agree to when you use the system, it says that you know we can use this information however we we'd like or um use it for for purposes of of improving the program uh you know if you sign that you know you're giving up your your right to protest in that case,
1: yeah. But here's here's where where I find, and, and I say this as someone who has recently been, you know, going through a lot of this attempting to find health care for people who have no insurance. Um, uh-huh. I've been going through it, and, you know, at least one of my roommates has been. And once you get to that, it very is, it is very much you have people over a barrel. I mean, my choices are that I have to agree to let you do whatever you want with my information, with, with my blood, theoretically my DNA. Who who knows who that's being given to? Hmm. Or I am denied access to medical care. I mean, it is that simple. You know, I am either giving you permission to do whatever you want and whatever terms you're giving me, or I can die. Yeah, I and
0: mean, that's, that's put that way, yeah, I can definitely see the problem with it there. Um. And, and that's honestly just just kind of a side effect of the healthcare system in general. I mean the the whole idea of it, it's it's really not that much better in situations where people are paying for insurance because you're paying outrageous premiums as it is and uh you know the deductibles are where really where it hits you. Um and you're and you're basically choose, telling
1: They can choose to cancel you for whatever.
0: Yeah, I mean you know? they, they can deny coverage at, at will and uh you know for for very expensive procedures uh you know this was in the um the Michael Moore documentary Sicko uh they yeah. can give you a choice like well you can either have this one finger reattached or the other one uh because you know your premiums aren't aren't enough to cover reattaching both fingers so you know you yeah. have to make a you have to make that decision and and just live with it um yeah that's certainly a problem so i you know this case is is i think more indicative of uh of a wider problem with the healthcare system in america and uh you know some a problem that I don't think we're we're really seeing addressed by legislators or by uh by civic action groups because no. everyone is all concerned with the you know subsidized medicine <laughs> in itself
1: well no and because we we concern ourselves with whether or not Craigslist has smut on it, and you know yeah. i mean it's we we get so distracted by random things that I think we we neglect what is terribly important, which is... But the, unfortunately, the that... there
0: are many things that are terribly important, and I think, you know, as much as I would like to see legislators address all of them, uh, they they address some of them, and they also address the things that, in my opinion, are, are very unimportant, but maybe others would consider extremely important. So, uh, you know, we, we have our own perspective, and, uh, and it, it may be the right one, but... <laughs> Uh, you know yeah. the memes prevail. The uh, the thing that is that is more popular for a politician to focus on will be that which he focuses on.
1: And and the fact that we have we have insurance and not uh, a single payer system was a came from a meme in and of itself. Yeah. You know you you can thank Ronald Reagan doing all those nice recordings on behalf of don't let socialists take over our health care because the commies are dirty and you know horrible and this is how they're going to take over our country by making us healthy. You
0: yeah, so- and, and I mean it even it goes back even farther than that. Uh it, it goes it goes back really to uh oh gosh it was it was somewhere where around the the 1920s uh as we were industrializing there was there was a movement there was a movement in the UK uh, for for socialized medicine, and then uh, there was a movement here, but it died for a certain reason. I, I remember it in, in one of my healthcare classes. Uh, we had we went over it, and, and it was very interesting. Like it was at kind of a turning point in the world where a lot of industrialized countries were implementing this practice, and we just uh, for a very odd reason decided not to. Um, yeah. something that you know for whose the justification for which has has long since expired. But just since we didn't make that decision and generations went by where it was the norm not to have a single-payer system, people thought that that was the way that it should be. (laughs) And so, you know, the way that it is became the way that it always should be. And uh, that's an unfortunate fallacy. But it's, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the meme.
1: Well, it's, and it's hilarious how, how much the meme in other cultures is so radically different. You know, I didn't realize, you know, like you said, I didn't realize that this was not the norm until I was talking to a person on, uh, on the internet one day who came from, uh, Australia or New Zealand, I forget which, Mm -hmm. and I had mentioned something about injuring myself, and they said, well, what did the doctor say about it? I said, I don't have money to go to the doctor, and they were astounded. They were like, since when do you need money to go to the doctor? Yeah. They could not understand it, and I spent hours trying to explain insurance, and and they're like, no, you just, you go to the doctor. That's what doctors are there for. Right. You know? Because for
0: them, it's always been, you know, the, the state pays for the doctors, or, you know, the the people pay yeah. for the doctors through taxes. I mean, that's just expected.
1: Yeah. it's expected. Uh, Everybody it's, it's, helps yeah, everybody well, else. Yeah. yeah. And it's not even everybody is, it, it helps everybody else. It's just, I don't know. I, I get very upset when I'm talking about this because these, you know, these things are, have impacted my life so incredibly mm-hmm. that I, I do not remember a time in my life where this was not such an important issue to me personally yeah
0: that and, and it, it's,
1: it's very difficult for me not to get you know very upset and very heated about this this particular issue
0: well, and I constantly remind like I have a friend who's in Canada and she recently had some pretty major health problems and had to spend like a couple of weeks solid in the hospital uh up in canada and and she said like You know, there were times where she she went to the doctor initially and had to wait 12 hours to be seen for, you know, a relatively minor prescription. Uh, And, you know, I just reminded her, like, look, you know, would you rather wait 12 hours or, or pay twelve thousand dollars for the equivalent service and to, you know i just reminded her like hey you know you've you've got a way better system there yeah we, as,
1: may, as we may not th- wait
0: but we pay for that that convenience
1: yeah and, and that's that's one of the things you mentioned uh sicko
0: i'm i'm not a, a huge fan of michael moore i'll admit but he got it right in that case i really well, I, I believe he, he got it right in that documentary
1: my thing is, I agree with, with most of the issues that Michael Moore, you know, takes up. My problem is, is that our side does not need propagandists any more than their side.
0: Yeah. You know, he yeah. works, he
1: works through the, the language and the, you know, ability of a propagandist. And I, I do not want propagandists messing up my side any more than I want propagandists messing up their side. You <laughs> know, t- take it, take it out of the equation. Um, but he did say one thing in there where, you know, they were talking about people in Canada and the UK complaining about long waits. And he's like, well, if you remove, you know, 13 million people from the line, the line gets really short, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's what it is, is we've just removed people and the choice is, you know, hope you have a lot of money or hope you can die quickly. Yeah. And it's barbaric is well, the only term I can think up for it. So. We've,
0: we've talked about it before on the show, and uh, maybe yeah. it's about time we we covered it again in a future episode. But thank you very much for the question, Kathleen. And uh, if you would like to, to have your question answered on, but we need like a, a catchy name for this segment. Uh, what what do you think, Kiki? Throw, throw out some ideas.
1: Oh, I, I don't know. Just just don't send us more downer questions. Let's get some up, right. <laughs> some happy philosophy questions.
0: Uh, I mean the uh, the little catchphrase I put on FormSpring was: ask a philosophical question, get a philosophical answer. Uh, so we well, I guess I, I we'll think just you're
1: promising it more than we can deliver on that.
0: Well, ask a philosophical
1: question, get a bad question. philosophical
0: answer. <laughs> yeah, there we go. So ask a philosophical question, get a bad philosophical answer.
1: We need to call this sec- section saw, Even Worse Philosophy.
0: Even Worse Philosophy. I like it. Okay, so so this week on Even Worse Philosophy, healthcare. Thank you, Kathleen. Uh, hope, hope to see your question next week on, on the show, everybody. So go to formspring.me slash badphilosophy and leave us a question. Well, we've come to the end of our time here on the show. Uh, thank you, Kiki, for uh, for coming on. It was a little short notice for you, but uh, you made it happen.
1: Yeah, it's because I have no other life. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, where can folks find you on the interwebs?
1: As always, I'm Voice of Kiki pretty much anywhere you look, uh, especially twitter.com slash voiceofkiki, and you'll get to see me squeeing about whatever it is I'm doing that week, which this week is uh, Sherlock, the BBC series. Mm. So if you're interested in Sherlock Holmes and my opinion of him, uh, please follow Twitter. Okay.
0: (laughs) And uh, and I am Steven Torrance, at s Torrance s t o w r e n c e on Twitter, uh, formspring.me slash Captain Valor, youtube.com slash Captain Valor, and pretty much anything else.com slash Captain Valor. Uh, follow me, watch my videos. Yeah, I'll occasionally tweet about interesting things, but mostly I just do this show and work. So thank you all for listening. Uh, We hope you have some wonderful questions for us, and uh, we'll see you next time here on Bad Philosophy
2: get a job or a haircut sublet your house buy a stolen bicycle cheat on your spouse hire an intern post your resume find a kinky pen pal you can i am all day sell some concert tickets click it buy some new skis give or get a blow job, maybe a disease find a bad philosophy episode 73,
0: episode 73 homes, recorded Coke, on september 6th Ah, crap babies, it's the fifth
2: <laughs> kids, you some keep doing that or some misconnection. find your lost journal and find a ride to burning man or find an ltr and a personal lad buy yourself some bootleg dvds find a horny tweaker for some pnp log on after three when all the users are using and the list is all electronic cruising join a study group or a community garden find a leather nipple pain pig and beg his pardon post in a forum
1: but there is a series of questions you get when you tell people you're a linguist the first one you get with linguistics is usually what is that and then if they know even basically that it has to do with language. The second question is always, ah, how, how many languages do you speak? Which is so missing the point. Asking a linguist how many languages language they speak is like asking a doctor how many diseases they have. And, and the, third, the third the third thing is always, well, are you a cunning linguist? Which I will just warn you right now anyone like who makes that joke around me owes me $20 or dinner. He's making a list. He's
2: making a list. Craig? He's making a list. Yeah. He's making a list. What? He's making a list. He's making a list. He's making a list. He's making a list. What? He's checking, checking it twice. Who? He sees you when you're sleeping because he's up all night. This yeah. is the only song ever what? written about a website called who? Craigslist. You write a Craig? line that rhymes with org. Yeah, he's making a list. What? He's checking it twice. Who? He sees you when you're sleeping because he's up all night. This yeah. is the only song ever what? written about a website called who? Craigslist. You write a line that rhymes with org. Yeah, he's making a list. What? <laughs> philosophy.com. <laughs> Haters
0: gonna hate.